Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We are back again for another episode of The Moments That Made Me. This week, I have the fabulously funny Jamie Lang. By the way, I always say your name wrong. I say Lang. Is hey, it Lang? Or yeah, no? rocks, but listen, listen, I've known you for about 15, 16 years, and I don't think anyone's ever got it right since then. So you don't have to worry about <laughs> anything. I don't think anyone knows what my name is. Like, I even get confused sometimes because is it Lang? Is it Lang? I mean, you, it, basically, I'm like David Bowie, so it doesn't really matter. No one really knew his surname. <laughs> I met Jamie back when I was 15 years old, and he has always had this incredible charisma. He was one of the original cast members of Made in Chelsea and is now podcast host, TV personality and founder of one of the best suites in the world, Candy Kittens. His uplifting energy is contagious and I am so happy to have him here today to tell me his three defining moments. Jamie! Roxy! Ah, Listen, I always feel so bad whenever anyone has to do not that everyone always has an intro for me. That sounds so bizarre. But when I hear an intro about myself, I always found, seem a little bit like, oh, my God. But it is true. <laughs> me and you have known each other since we are about 15 years old. So I feel like I deserve an intro from you. Absolutely. I feel like you were born to entertain. That's honestly <laughs> how I feel. Do you think so? I don't know. I don't know. I, I have... Do you know, do you know, Rox, do you remember the first time I properly met you? Do you remember what happened? No, I do remember it was with Daisy. Yeah, so it was with, it was our mutual friend Daisy. Now, now to all the listeners, I really fancied this girl, Daisy. I think she was my first love. And yeah, I think she was, I became what they like to call a little obsessed. I did that usual (laughs) thing that when she broke up with me, I did the really cool thing of begging to, for them not to break up with me. (laughs) <laughs> she was literally like just get out of here um but all i remember all i remember from the first time that we met rocks is that we went to i think it was actually not the first time it was one of the first times but it was with daisy we were in oxford uh we were i was the year above you so i thought i was pretty damn cool and then when i met you girls i was like holy smokes they're way cooler than me and this is intimidating <laughs> It was bad. Yeah, but we we were like <laughs> intimidating in numbers, but get us alone, and we were just nothing. <laughs> it was that pack. Yeah, that you community. were you were intimidating in numbers. That that was exactly <laughs> yeah yeah. You were just these these really really beautiful fun girls who used to hang out uh... together, and all the boys used to fancy you, all of you guys. <laughs> and listen, I was I was a mere pawn in your battle that you guys. <laughs> Well, Jamie, I remember you being particularly cool. So, Jamie, let's kick off with your first defining moment. So I was thinking about this and my first defining moment. I I don't want to start on like 
a negative, but I'm going to start on negative. Is that okay? Of course. I think actually one of the greatest things about people's defining moments is that often they are these sort of rock bottoms or these negative experiences that really help them to actually grow. And I think that's really inspiring for people to hear. Okay, good. So I, I, for most people who don't know, I, even though I'm like five foot five, actually I'm not in five foot eight in a bit, but nearly five nine, but whatever. But I, I used to play a lot of rugby. And uh, anyway, all I wanted to do growing up, and actually I spoke about this on another podcast once, actually a person called Elizabeth Days, but I feel for me it was a real moment in, in my life. All I wanted to do was play rugby. That's everything that I wanted to do. I, I loved it more than anything. I thought that was going to be my career path. Uh, I got all my emotion from it. So I got the excitement. I got the camaraderie. I got... Uh, the admiration, I got the kind of sort of progression in terms of going up a level in terms of every single year I got better at the sport. So all of these things kind of combined. I, you know, I, I loved everything about it. And if we're growing up and you are an artist or a dancer or you go to the gym or you love English, you want to be an author, you have these dreams growing up and it doesn't matter what you are doing, that's what you want to sort of proceed to do in life. I wanted to be a rugby player. And when I was 17 years old, I was on tour in Italy doing a rugby thing out there. And I was going into my last year of school. I was going to be the captain of the rugby team. I was going to be all these different things. I was trying to get scouted into different teams in the premiership. I was wanting to go for England, like schools, all these different things. And when I was on tour, I caught a rugby ball on the side of the pitch. I ran across the pitch. And this guy tripped me up and another guy landed on my leg and my whole knee just broke. I, I broke the ACL, I damaged the ACL ligament, I did the MCL ligament and basically my knee became completely busted. Um, and weirdly, even though we kind of talk about things like we say like, why is that a defining moment? It was a massively defining moment in my life because all of my dreams at that moment were completely crushed. Everything about whatever I wanted to do was just taken away in that instant, in that one second. Uh, I wanted to go and become a rugby player. I didn't want to go to university. I wanted to pursue this dream. I wanted to do everything. Um, and I remember coming back to England, and I would, my, my leg was in a cast, and I had just seen the physio, the rugby team's physio, who, who I was with. And I said, do you promise me it's not going to be bad? And she said, Jamie, I promise you, I bet my house, I bet my house that your knee's going to be okay for the season. I said, okay, fine. I went to this surgery. I went to the Wellington Hospital. I remember it so well. And I met this guy there and he gave me an MRI scan on my left knee. And the MRI scan came back and he looked at me with no emotion in his eyes whatsoever. And he just said, yeah, it's, it's the MCL and the ACL. They're completely torn. They're gone. You won't be playing rugby for a long time. And I hated that guy at that moment. I hated him more than anything because he had no clue what it meant to me. To me, to him, he was, I was just this 17-year-old kid who had just come in and had a knee problem, but it was just everything. It was everything gone in that one second. But the defining moment because of it was that I think this happens to a lot of people in life where you are either rejected from a big job that you wanted to do, you don't get to the university that you wanted to get to, you don't become a sportsman, you don't do a fast time in athletics, whatever it is. There's always a reason behind it. My reasoning was is that I would have always tried to become a rugby player. I was always getting injured um, growing up. I was always too small. I was always trying to, I was eating so much to keep the weight on. Um, I was 
always going to be progressing, trying to get to the place where I wanted to get to. And it was a complete blessing in disguise because what happened was, is that because of my injury, it meant it took everything away from me, but it meant that I had to focus my dreams in other places. And because I had to focus my dreams and things in other places, it meant that I was doing different things. I would have never succeeded in rugby. I probably wasn't good enough. I definitely wasn't big enough. Um, and I know a lot of people who've gone into the rugby system and they've ended up playing for a, a really low team second side and they've never quite done it. So for me, I kind of look at that as a lucky escape. But it made me realize that if I was ever going to do something in life, I knew I had to love it to be good at it. If I didn't love it, I would never do it. That's what I realized straight away. So that's when I focused all of my energy into stuff that I really wanted to do and said, if I'm going to continue life and be some sort of a success, I have to focus on what I love and enjoy. And that's what that first moment taught me. And breathe. Was that very long? Oh, my God. That was absolutely perfect and such such a great moment you know when I wrote the kind of synopsis for this podcast I wrote as the kind of ideas of hopefully people's moments would be you know allowing people to understand that not getting the thing they wanted will lead them to something better and this is exactly exactly that I think it's really that kind of understanding of sometimes what we want isn't what's meant for us mm -hmm. and we try and force it you know it's like whether that's a bad relationship or um, a job or uh, whatever it is I think we try and force things for us and then we get so disappointed when they don't happen but when you're able to just go this just wasn't for me it wasn't what was meant for me it wasn't my path that's so liberating but I can imagine as like a seven year old kid that takes quite a lot to be able to have that acceptance um, how long did it take you to kind of go okay I have to look at something else because like you said it was your dream you know and I think when you are that age it's all encompassing yeah do you know what rocks that's so funny it, it took me a long time and straight away at the beginning I I hated it like I hated everything about it because it stripped me of my identity. What I was is I was this guy ever since eight years old, younger, since five years old, I played sport. And that's what everyone kind of knew me as. And what we do in life is we have a blueprint, right? So we all of us have this blueprint. So we think that we're going to be married by the time we're 24. We're going to have this house. And we're going to be having a baby at 26. And we're going to have this job. And we're going to be driving this car and all these different things. Whatever your blueprint is, some may be, hey, I'm going to be playing a piano in an orchestra and doing this. Does a piano, is there a piano in an orchestra? I don't even know. <laughs> but you know what I mean? <laughs> but in this story has, it is. <laughs> yeah. Is there a piano in an orchestra? Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but what's so interesting is that we all focus on this blueprint that we're meant to achieve. And when our blueprint goes wrong, we think that we failed in life. Life, we're not meant to have a blueprint whatsoever. And if you believe that you have a blueprint, then you're on the wrong path because your life isn't set out in that certain ways. We're throwing lots of challenges in life and we have to overcome them. It's like a, you know, a steeplechase. You have to jump over the barriers in order to proceed forward and to win the race. And for me, I, the first hurdle, which was, I think, you know, I, you know, I, I, I came from a pretty privileged life, you know, and so when I talk about my hurdles, they're definitely not comparison to a lot of people's hurdles, but, you know, it's, it's all kind of relative to what we were experiencing. But I suppose it was one of my big hurdles that I had to get across. And like I said, I, I rejected it and I hated it. I thought that my life was over. I lost identity. The teachers and people at my school didn't admire me as much. 
I wasn't that schoolboy hero that I thought I was going to be that had led me all the way until I was 17, 18, all this kind of stuff. And actually, I went down a bit of a negative path. I, you know, I drank too much in pubs. I was misbehaved. I wasn't nice to my mom. I, I like lots of, I became really kind of negative. And what's so funny is that we don't, as kids, the most amazing thing about young kids a lot of the time is that we don't really understand our emotions. So because we're, we're too innocent, we haven't experienced life enough. So we don't really understand what we're going through. And I was probably going through some sort of, I don't know, some sort of uh, emotional moment. I just didn't know what was going on. Um, and it took me a little bit of time. It probably took me until I went to university. I, I would say a bit longer. I'd say second year of university until I sort of started to think about other stuff and focusing on what I want to do. Before that, I was just focusing on trying to date girls and drinking all these different things. And that's all I cared about. And it was probably 21, 22 when I started to think about the future. But I had this amazing quote the other day that someone said, they said that um, ease is a greater threat to success than hardship. If things are easy, you'll never succeed. You'll just float through life just doing what is easy. Things have to be hard in order to succeed. And whatever that is, you have to overcome it. And persistency is the biggest key in life. People fail is because they're not persistent. And what was lucky for me, I always had that persistency in me. I was always like, well, no, there must be something about that. There must be something there. And that was a negative and a plus because it meant that my dating history was always bad because I was always, always thought there was something better. But also yeah. <laughs> it made me in life think that there was always something more. There was something more. So it's mm. always persistent. Always Do you think persistent. Rug- rugby actually probably taught you that? that kind of uh, ability to work hard, to want to progress and do better. It probably gave you quite a lot of discipline. Yeah, I think it gave, I, I think it gave me discipline. It made me realize that I could be coached, but I didn't like being coached. So <laughs> I was actually like, I, 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 so someone could tell me what to do, but I didn't like that. That's, yeah. what, that's what it told me. It told me that I was quite a good leader within a team. Um, and it made me realize how much I, I liked, I needed a lot of, I, it made me realize that in order to succeed, you have to kind of work within a team. And I think that what was really important that an individual never does anything on their own. They need the people around them in order to make things happen. And that's what it taught me. Well, what a great first moment. And especially, I was brilliant. You know, I think what's really interesting, and it hasn't really been touched on that much before, is this idea of um, losing your identity. Mm. And I think that is a massive one because we all have ways that we define ourselves. So, And for most of us, it is our job, our career. Um, It may be the way we look, the amount of money we earn, the um, our popularity, whatever it is. But we tend to form these identities about ourselves and give ourselves these labels and the people around us also put these labels on us so like you say your teachers treated you differently that was absolutely something I would expect because people kind of fit you in a box within their world Mm. and having that complete loss of uh, what you're labeled as uh, is really it's it's a big thing to go through at any age let alone in your teens where you're trying to find your place in the world anyway um, but really being able I think to lose your identity whether that's because you lose your job you lose all your money you lose your relationship status mm-hmm. whatever it is if you can lose that and then build yourself back up again and find a new identity I don't think there is any greater achievement I think it's it's so 
such a empowering and strengthening and an amazing opportunity for real growth. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. I, I absolutely agree with you, because I think that it's it's hard, but also I think at that age I didn't really know that I was sort of recreating myself. I just no. kind of, I just kind of realized that I I had to. I, I realized that 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 it's pretty easy to lose things, and 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 you know a lot of people experience that with death. You know, if they're younger or with not getting into things. I experienced it with rugby, where I realized that things can go away in a second. And if things do go away in a second, then you have to appreciate a lot of stuff. But also when you've got, you have to work hard in order to get those things because they can be easily taken away. Mm. What a great lesson. (laughs) And so you tell me, what is your second defining moment? Okay, so my second defining moment, God, I love this. My second defining (laughs) moment is uh, probably pretty obvious if you've seen the tv show and kind of know what i've done is uh, making the decision to do um the reality tv show made in chelsea um uh, can i just say i remember i just had this memory now do you remember we all went to watch the first episode yeah 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 <laughs> we went yeah. to that pub on the corner and yeah. everyone gathered to watch it oh, oh my god. god and you had we had no idea what was to come right yeah we had no idea and also all of us combined were literally like why the hell are these idiots doing the show <laughs> they're such morons i would never do that in a million years la, 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 la. all this kind of stuff <laughs> me included i was just like what idiots kaggy you're doing this you moron oh my god all this stuff we were saying the entire time because i you know I, I definitely think from from the place where i was sitting i have always been someone who um has seeked um kind of popularity and and seek kind of uh, respect from others and wanting to be loved and liked. And I've had that ever since I was a kid. Ever since I was five years old, I can remember wanting to be liked more than anything. So even though I sat there and sort of said those same things and joined the crowd and said, oh, I would never do it, secretly underneath it all, I was just like, no, I would like to do that. So how did you first hear about it? Well, it was interesting. So and the reason why this is sort of a defining moment for me is that I, I, always, like, I always had this like, dream and desire you know I did acting at university and I'd always done plays and things growing up and I had this complete love of it it wasn't lots of people say I had the love of like becoming different characters and things like that wasn't me at all I loved the fact that I was center stage that was purely it I just really liked having all the attention on me and so doing theater shows and stuff like that and people going to watch and you were the star that was the best thing in the world for me um and you know, Made in Chelsea started because it was, you know, probably people know the story where it was just a Channel 4 were trying to create a TV show much like The Hills where they wanted to follow a group of kids who came from a certain background, a privileged background, and lived in a certain area in London and hung out and partied and dated each other and yada yada and all those different things. And this is what they wanted to create. And there was a hustle and bustle of this show going to happen and you know, our buddies, Spencer Matthews and Hugo Taylor and Kagi Dunlop and Rosie Fortescue and Millie McIntosh, they were all sort of asked to do it. And they were kind of the ones who began it all. And it was, you know, all these sort of messages were creeping around about like, oh, would you like to come and try out the show or try and do it? And, you know, at the very beginning, I was always just like, no, I would never do something like that. I, I watched the series when it came out. And I was like, this is just 
the worst idea in the world. Why would we a bunch being followed by a camera and you're a bunch of bosh kids? And I went on holiday uh, to, again, our mutual friend, a guy called Alex Komlenos' house. And his, his mum is very high up in television. Um, and I had just got the email through again saying, you know, would you like to come and think about doing the second series of the TV show? I had just come out of Leeds University, having done theatre and performance. I got a two-two. Just I really got a third. I was like, I'm going to be washing cars the rest of my life. I was considering like, what the hell I'm going to do with so many different things. Um, I had this wacky idea where I wanted to go and set up a sweet shop in London. And the idea behind the sweet shop was going to be a mixture between Willy Wonka and Hugh Hefner. It, that was the idea. Oh, oh my be- God. So you were thinking about sweets all the way back then. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about sweets all the way back then. And I thought, this is, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to create a sexy sweet shop. I want it to be like the Abercrombie and Fitch of the sweet world. Um, <laughs> all I want to do. And, yeah, And at the meantime, I had this you know, this offer to go and join this TV show made in Chelsea. And I was on holiday in France with my friend and I spoke to his mum about it. And she said, Jamie, it'd be the worst idea in the world for you to go and join this TV show. Don't do it. It's a reality show. Why would you ever want to do a reality show? And I kind of went, oh, okay, fine. I, you know, oh, I don't really know. I think it could be a good idea. She was telling me one thing. Made in Chelsea were telling me another thing. It's going to be the best thing you could do. No one had any clue. There was a, there's still this stigma towards reality television. People still say it's bad. People still say it's this, still say it's that. And I agree with you. It has lots of negatives towards doing it, but there are a lot of positives. And so I came back to the UK still with this dream to open up a sweet shop and still with this idea that I was going to join this TV show. And I was umming and ahhing about it. And... I was introduced to my stepmom, uh, introduced me to an agent, said, why don't you go and talk to an agent about the TV show? See if they can sway you one way or another, because then maybe you have an insight into the industry. So I went and spoke to an agency who are a big time agency in London. And I chatted to them about this idea of doing a TV show. And I kind of said, well, if I joined the TV show, would you, would you rep me as an agent and all this different stuff? And they said to me, look, I'm, I won't rep you as an agent um, because we don't know anything about Main Chelsea, this new TV show. And to be honest, being white, privileged and posh is not the best, most exciting thing in the world for, for the current climate that we're in. I went, OK, fine. So this is getting further and further away. But he did say one piece of advice that I've kept forever. He said, if you're driving up the M1 to Leeds, because I was at Leeds University, he said, if you're driving up the M1 to Leeds, make sure you head towards Leeds. Don't veer off to Manchester because if you veer off to Manchester, you're going to get lost know where your destination is. And from that moment, I went, okay, fine. I know what my destination is. I want to set up this sweet shop. This is what I want to do. How am I going to set it up? I need to go into marketing. So I'll go and start Made in Chelsea because then it will give me the marketing tools in order to build the sweet shop. And from that day on, I went and did it. And I went into Made in Chelsea knowing that I wanted to create a sweet, sweet company. I wanted to do something with my life. I just didn't want to be a reality I said, right, I'm going to be a presenter. That's what I'm going to do as well. And from that moment on, I knew my destination straight away. So anything that ever came in my path, I was like, no, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. Yes, I want to do that because I knew where I was heading. Yeah. It was a massively <gasps> defining moment for me that bit. That is such fucking good piece of advice. <laughs> and honestly, I think it is something that people so easily forget is yeah. that they don't clearly define where they want to go. And the thing is, you can't, 
manifest anything that you want if you don't know what it is you're trying to manifest. Um, Do you know that that is totally it. But also, what people don't realize, and you know, this wasn't planned, right? Like, I, I didn't say, okay, I got to follow this piece of advice. I just kind of followed my gut, right? So oh, this is yeah. what I want to do. And what people forget is that naivety is one of your biggest weapons. Without a doubt, yeah. doesn't matter yeah. if you are starting a business, if you are. I don't know, playing something or if you're joining a reality show, whatever, is naivety is so important because if you're not naive, you then follow logic, right? And if you follow logic, you get back in the same place as everybody else, a place where you don't want to be, right? If you're driving a car or flying a plane, follow logic because it gets you back in the same place as everybody else, a safe place. But if you're doing something like setting up a sweet company or running a new business or doing a podcast, whatever it is, don't follow logic because it's going to be the same as everybody else. So follow your naivety, follow your, your, your stuff that you don't know. And that's what we did with Candy Kittens. And that's what I did with Maiden Chelsea. I just said, well, I'm going to follow my gut because no one else has followed my gut. So I'm going to do it and see what happens. And that was one of the biggest kind of, uh, reasons towards any sort of success I've ever had is that I've always gone, well, I think I should do it my way. And maybe that's wrong. But at least if it's wrong, I can't blame it on anyone else. That is such <laughs> good advice. And you know what? I have never heard that before. I've never heard someone say use naivety as your weapon. Yeah. That is gold. But do you know what? It's so true. Like every, like the thing is, is that everyone's experiences are different, right? You know, you know, you listen for example, you're a big advocate in the mental health side, right? So am I. I. You know, it's really important to us. We've experienced so many different things. But you know, the problem is, is when people talk about depression or insomnia, or anxiety, or whatever it is, people put like a blanket over and say, "This is what you're going to feel. This is what's going to happen. This is how you get through it." And actually, everyone's path is so unique, and everyone's feelings are so different to another person's feelings. Some people, when they feel depressed, feel completely empty other people feel when they're depressed is just a certain kind of like tightness or whatever it is you experience different things and yes you can listen to advice but at the same time following your gut is the most important thing because at the end of the day that is the thing that's going to get you through whatever you're going through or get you to the place where you want to get to or get the success that you want to get to it's you copying someone else can only get you through exams that's it. <laughs> You're so also, I think, you know, one thing is when you go to someone for advice, it's really worth kind of uh, taking into account that they bring to you their all their own experiences, all their mm -hmm. own fear, all their own um, uncertainty. So really, mm -hmm. you can never get a true um, answer of what you should do from someone else because it comes with so much baggage, you know, so that's why your your gut is so important. Yeah, but also exactly, it's so important. Also, uh, you know, everyone's, you know, it's that same cliche thing. You have to make mistakes in order to understand, you know, how to push forward. And that doesn't matter. That's in like total life, you know, make all these mistakes and make these, you know, and also, you know, mistakes lead to like huge successes, right? For example, with Candy Kittens, the mistakes that we made were we made the packaging too expensive. We made the sweets too expensive. Um, and all these different things. However, what that led us to is creating a brand new category in the confectionery market, which is gourmet gummy candy. We invented premium sweets. It was never there before. And the only reason we did it is because we made a mistake with our margins. So mistakes oh. actually lead towards things. Yeah, you, these mistakes happen. And if you, if we had followed someone else, if we had gone to Harry Bow or whoever and said, how do you make sweets? They would have told us what to do. They would have said, make cheap sweets, make it with cheap coloring, put farm animals on the packet and you'll be fine. 
We did the total opposite. We made expensive sweets. We made them suited to adults and all different ages because we thought that was sexy, fun, and cool. Um, and we made them vegan. No one had done that before. We just did it because we thought, well, this is what we're going to do. And we made a mistake doing it. But actually, our mistake was our success. That is brilliant. I did not. I I, I feel like I could do a whole podcast with you about candy kittens because <laughs> yeah, I, I just feel hours, like but... it's this like, oh, just side hustle. I own this like fucking massive sweet company. <laughs> <laughs> like it's actually absurd. <laughs> Listen, Ross, I have massive imposter syndrome. So if you, we could really get into that if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> Who fucking doesn't? Yeah, exactly. Baffled, a brand new podcast bringing you some amazing facts that are complete nonsense. Imagine the likes that that would get on Instagram, you having a quick one up a lamppost on the moon, incredible. So you basically <laughs> saying the reason the dinosaurs stopped living is because they all collectively made a decision to have no more children. Oh, they're talking, I think until 10 years ago, I, I still shared the bathwater that my parents were in. You can find us wherever you got this podcast. Just search for Baffled Amazing Facts. Jamie, let's go to your third defining moment. So my third defining moment is, um, is again, a bit of a negative. Um, and it's a bit of a negative, but it, but it made me change who I am. And this is, we spoke of at the beginning, and I, and I think it's always quite nice to do a cyclical with stuff. So come back to the beginning where you started. And, and it kind of, you know, the defining moment for me really in my life was my rugby career was over. Um, but what that led me to doing is doing Made in Chelsea and, and sort of defining lots of parts of my life. But then the, the issue with doing Made in Chelsea and doing and being somewhat famous or have some sort of fame or profile, whatever we, we had and experienced, and being the type of person I was, it's kind of a recipe for disaster. Um, because I was given free alcohol. I was allowed to go to nightclubs twice a week and paid to go there. I could try and kiss as many girls as I want to kiss and everything was free and I was young and all these different things. And, and it led me down a path of, uh, not, I, I had a, a lot of toxins going into my body from relationships to friendships, to decision-making all these different things. And my defining moment was when I was 27 years old and I was 27 and I was about to go and film the series in the South of France and I wasn't feeling too good. I was, I was feeling pretty anxious and I was feeling not great about stuff and I probably was hungover again. And I remember sitting in my apartment um, and I had just started dating an ex-girlfriend and I didn't really want to date her, but I was dating her and because it was on a TV show and a lot of all these different things. And I remember thinking, right, it's the night before I go. I'm going to phone someone and go and have a drink with them and just chill and, and sort of get ready for tomorrow. And I remember getting my phone out and looking at my phone and thinking, well, who do I phone? And I was like, Jesus, actually, I don't know who I phone because every single time I go out, I go with a group of people. I haven't been for an individual drink with someone for, I can't even remember the last time. You know, who are my real friends? Who are they? Like, who am I? I have a lot of friends. But who are they? And I suddenly realized that I had probably been pretty disrespectful to a lot of my really close friends who I had been around for a long time and were my real friends. 
I had rejected them. I had rejected my family a lot. I had had some toxic relationships, all these different things. And I went, okay, fine. And I went to uh, the south of France and I was still feeling really anxious and not quite right and all over the place and different things. And I came back from the south of France and I remember sitting at a restaurant and it was this moment that happened to me. It was almost like I was having another argument with my girlfriend at the time. And um, it was like a cloud came over my eyes. Then we can say it was like a cloud that came over my eyes. And I was like, what the hell is this? And it was quite weird. It felt like I was in almost like a dream state. And so I, I sort of sat with this for a while and I sat with it for about a week and every single time I'd wake up, it'd feel like I was in sort of like a dream state. I was like, am I really tired? I don't really know what's going on. So I went to a psychotherapist and he said to me, Jamie, you have something called depersonalization. I said, what's that? He said, when over a period of time you've experienced post-traumatic stress, disorder, depression, anxiety, um, lack of sleep, whatever it is, your, your mind will basically put you into autopilot to protect you. Um, and it's quite a scary thing and it will pass, but you just have to sit with this. And I said, well, what else can cause it? He said, well, it can also be from psychosis. And so immediately me being the catastrophe, I focused on that. So I thought that I was going mad and this depersonalization was taking over me and all these different things. And I had that for about six months. And because the depersonalization, all these things kicked in, it meant I had to completely change my whole life, my lifestyle and everything. I stopped drinking as much. I focused a lot more in exercise. I focused a lot more in eating healthy. I, instead of going to bed at 2 a.m. in the morning and waking up at 6 to go and work again, I went to bed at a decent hour. Um, I went and reconnected with friends. I went and had one-on-one lunches, one-on-one dinners, one-on-one breakfasts, all these different things that I hadn't done in so long and realized that actually what happened is that I had just driven myself into the ground. I had a complete burnout from all the stuff I'd been doing. And the depersonalization, the burnout lasted for about six months to seven months. And suddenly it lifted. One day I woke up and this cloud had just disappeared. It had just gone. It was like this complete weight lifted off off me. And from then 27 until I was now, I had to completely kind of change the person who I was and go back to the person who, who I used to be, who was this, you know, the TV show had taught me that I, that arrogance was cool and being disrespectful towards women was the make you the right thing to do and not focusing on your friends you know friends are like like a garden you have to water them to make them grow and I hadn't focused on that and what happened was is because of that experience is that it was able to teach me that actually relationships are important friendships are really important families are really important that when you're 90 years old and you're sitting in your rocking chair and you look back at your life it doesn't really matter what company you built uh what holiday you went on what car you drove what house you lived in actually what matters is whether you were kind to people you had good relationships and good friendships and good family and all those different things and you were a kind person um and that was a defining moment for me because it made me realize that actually forget everything that i thought i wanted to do which was i wanted to be wealthy and i wanted to be this and i wanted to be that that actually it's the smaller things in life which are the most important and i think for me that was the biggest moment (laughs) i am literally obsessed with you (laughs) <laughs> I, li- I love you I it's, love you Jamie <laughs> but it's kind of true and I think Rox you probably you experienced something similar right where you know you and I both and I hope I not speak out of turn here is that you and I both really strive towards being the most popular and the, the, the funniest and the best and all these different things and so and in order to do that we used alcohol or whatever to to kind of get us to that place um, 
And actually what it was is slowly destroying us inside and destroying our real friendships and destroying friendships with our families and all these different things. And it's not just alcohol, it's just everything else. It's just life. And you realize that you actually have to change that and actually being a kind, nice person is the way forward. Yeah, I mean, it's so true. I was talking on an episode the other day actually about this because I... I feel like being we were talking about in specifically in PR how they used to get like these PR bitches and that was like being mean was like cool mm. and I remember always even though I god I lost my way and I was like a complete fuck up for half the time but you know I was always pretty nice like I was always like a nice person mm. and I used to feel really embarrassed of that like I used to think that it was really lame like I was just too weak or like I was too like nicey nice and like god can I I wish I was a bit cooler and now I'm like oh no being nice is like my superpower this is like the the thing that's got me to where I am and I'm so proud to be a kind person but I definitely think that's like a complete like cultural shift as well because for sure it was way cooler to just be like you know and you would be attracted to the people who were just you know rude and you just I I think it stems from you know you touched on it earlier this like desperate desire to be liked I want that for me that was like it like that was my Achilles heel as just like needing to be liked by everybody yeah but I think think also Rox that was the great thing about you and I is that our our you know we wanted to be cool but we also wanted to be liked more than cool. The people yeah. who want to be cool are the mean ones. We yeah. want to be liked more than cool. So actually, you're so right. Our superpower was the fact that we were so nice, and that's what's got us past that. If I was an asshole and acted the way I did, no one would have ever worked me. I, I acted <laughs> yeah. the way I did, but I was nice while I did it. Exactly yeah. same you, and that's what kind of got us through the dark patches. It held us together. <laughs> yeah, it held us together. Like, you know, it was the glue. But also the reason why we, we lived in this kind of sort of lifestyle where it was cool to me is that we grew up with these movies. You watch The Devil Wears Prada, you know. Yeah, yeah. She's a bitch. You know, you, totally. you what, your heroes were Hugh Hefner. You know, he was one of my heroes. A guy who sleeps with loads of women and, you know, <laughs> set up a brand. It's a terrible yeah. role model. You know, we thought yeah. these like playboys – you know, if you were a playboy, it was cool. Hollywood had designed all of these like characters that you thought were just amazing. These westerns where you were the bad boy—that's what got all the girls. But in fact, that that sort of loneliness and that sort of emptiness that you feel is because you've acted that way. Actually, the most fulfilling thing is is being kind. So I've said this in another podcast, but I say again: Socrates said there are two levels of happiness: the lower level and the higher level. The lower level is power, wealth, fame, all those kind of things. That's the lower level. The higher level is empathy, respect, loyalty, friendships. People think you want to get the lower level of happiness because that reaches all the happiness you want. But actually, when you achieve that fame and that power and that wealth, you're not happy. The higher level, the friendships, the loyalty, the empathy, when you achieve that, that's when you're truly happy. Really, fundamentally, that is without a doubt truth. And so if you can combine the two together in like a perfect synergy, then you're you're pretty set. Yeah, that's why actually I love that like you are talking about this and that people are talking about it. People who have reached those places of having the things people think will bring you happiness. So people who have had fame, money, success and all these things that are now going, I've had this and it's not actually that good. 
You know, yeah. it's not what yeah. made me happy. And before, I don't think people were not saying that. There was no celebrity on the front page of the news going, actually, I'm quite unhappy. It was all we saw was celebrities coming out of parties, drinking loads, having this fabulous time. Those were our role models. Whereas now, I think... As well, in terms of when you talk about role models now, I think actually it's like being healthy is cool. Look at people like yeah. Gigi Hadid and Kendall Jenner. They're not rolling out of clubs like smashed. Do you know what I mean? It's like definitely something shifted in terms of having healthier role models now, I think. Totally. And I, I still definitely think there's a balance. I think sometimes what we do as human beings is we go one way or the other. And I think finding a healthy balance in between is really important and incredibly mm. hard but I think also important. But what is what is amazing is it does. It's true. You you basically get to some sort of a finish line at some point, and you you realise that actually the finish line is not what you expected. And that's why it brings me back to those rugby days. When I was at the rugby days, I wasn't paid any money. I was hanging out with my mates. I was being coached by some certain people. But it was the happiest I was. It was because I was doing something that I fundamentally loved more than anything. And I really enjoyed doing every bit of it. I didn't care about not being paid, didn't care about anything. I just wanted to do it. And if you can find that in life, that equivalent, you will just be immensely happier. And I think we strive towards stuff where we sit in offices for like 10 hour days and just count money and, and you know, do all these things. We think that's what success is. But success is not that. Success is like, you know, having fun and creating families and having friendships and experiencing different things that you, you know, whether it's a new language, that's success not all the other stuff that surrounds it. Oh, I feel so inspired. I think you're really, this is like such an amazing journey you've been on. It's yeah. honestly fascinating. I've been sat back just like, oh yeah, I love this. So usually I do these 10 questions, but I'm actually not going to do that because I want to ask you. So Jamie, because you have been through this journey, you've you've had the lower level happiness. So tell us, what is your higher level happiness? What does that look like to you? What makes you happy? Uh, so it's probably going to sound super cheesy, but um, I went to I went to a friend of ours uh, wedding last year, and he was giving his speech. Um, and in his speech, he said that I met my beautiful wife, and I was taken to her house one night because she wanted me to show me her independent movie, and her dad was there, so I met her dad as well. And she showed her her movie and she said, what do you think? And then we all said, it's great. But the ending question on the movie was, what is the meaning of life? And she turned to her dad and said, Papa, what do you think the meaning of life is? And he said, my daughter, the meaning of life is to love. And I thought it was pretty cheesy at the wedding. I was like, okay, so be it. Okay, fine, whatever. And then I went into a relationship uh, just after that with a my girlfriend, Sophie, who I'm going out with now. And I can say without a doubt, that is the happiest thing Ever. I always thought I was going to be this guy that just settled, that I met, that I would be in a relationship, I would settle, I would maybe end up cheating at some point, but like I, I just thought that was life. I thought that was life. That's what happened, that no one is actually, these fairy tale sort of Disney movies isn't true. But then I found someone who I couldn't be more compatible with, couldn't love more, and couldn't respect more, and realized, holy shit, this is actually what life is about. Um, so for me, it's definitely relationships. Oh my God. Jamie, that's so fucking cute. <laughs> I swear that's, that's I also that love her, by the way. Truth. It's not me just blabbering shit. That is actually the truth without a doubt. That is so beautiful. <laughs> that but is honestly true. so sweet. 
But I want to flip the question back to you. Yeah. What, what, is, what is your higher level? What do you think it is? I think for me at the moment, of, of course, being with Wolfie, just like seeing yeah. him grow, like on it, just being me and him and just watching him laugh and just like having a cuddle is just like bliss. But I don't know. I think for, it's all the like small pleasures in life. I just, yeah. I think it's when I'm like, I don't know, I just like walk down the street and I feel fresh air and then I go get my coffee and I'm like, God, I'm so happy. Like, I just really embrace all the small, I don't know, Do you know just what? the small and, and that is the most amazing attitude to have. Um, my mum made me read this article of this poor lady who um, came outside her front door, she slipped on ice, she broke her neck and she's completely paralysed from the head and the way down, on the head, neck down. And she wrote this whole like blog about saying that you know, she just really appreciated the small things in life. She always cared that her legs were too fat, but now she just wished she had legs. Doesn't even matter what they were. That's all she cares about. And we forget that the small things in life are so amazing. And that's a freaking great one. Totally great one. Yeah. I have, I don't know your moments. And I was like, oh, I wonder what they'll be. So I came in with no expectations. And that was such a beautiful episode it was you were so articulate I think you've been on such a a a kind of wonderful journey and I think it were really I love your honesty um I think that from the not get it you know being having your dream as a teen sort of shattered building yourself up making this decision when everyone was telling you not to make the decision and going for it anyway and learning to follow your gut and to keep your vision clear in your mind and allow that to guide you you know it was is so beautiful and then to realize that um you know happiness is is love it's just wonderful. So I'm smiling. I'm sure everybody listening is smiling. And I just am so, so thankful to you for coming on, on my show. Oh, no, Rox, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, babe. I'll call you soon. I re- I'm keep meaning to see Sophie because we, we're like Instagram friends and I'm like obsessed oh my God, with her. Dude, let's do it. Let's do a dinner. Let's see Wolfie. Let's do these things. I would I love would that. Love, I would love, love to. Sending you lots of love, babe. Thanks, honey. Bye. Bye.